I think, I mean, after today, if we, when we do this later on, we might be able, I mean, obviously we'll be able to split up these verses, have different people sing different verses if we want, if we want to do it that way.
shaker. Well, I was going to say, you're trying to replace my three different tracks, one of which is full drum set, or three different, yeah. Although they both are. Could be better. <laughs> it could be worse, yes. She's staying in the hospital two nights. She just came home yesterday, late afternoon. Yeah. Yeah. He won't be here this week. Probably out of week. town with fa for family Thanksgiving. We're just practicing our new song. One of them, newish, a newish song. You're all about docking that pay. All about docking that pay. I looked, it was good. The order is almost exactly the same, just slightly different chords. The verses are actually easier because <laughs> there's only two chords. Um, the, the chorus, the chorus is, it just has more, but you'll, you'll see. Do it in a key of C. I have 
some sort of differences. So I'm gonna, I'll leave the bass on in the backing tracks because they have backing tracks a bit, so you can hear. But wasn't it dark? And I'll turn it down, shut off, and all stuff, and actually get it played. It's, it's <laughs> it was hard. dark to see anything, so why would it matter? Um, You won't even have to. <laughs> okay. You won't even have to play like that intro stuff. You won't even have to worry about that. So, I, I don't think the bass actually comes in until the second verse. But I mean, you can come in the first verse if you want to. Um, if you want to look at the, the chorus there, it's just it's double the chords what we normally do. So normally we just go. That's how we would normally do it, but it's, it's just adding another one. So it's, it's just, it's all the same chords that we've always done, it's just doing faster. So, yeah, we're going to, we're going to do this a couple times. So, we'll try. All right, let's, let's try this again. Angels.
Questions about it? Or you, we're we're going to run it again. We're going to run it one more time, and then we're going to go through practice. So we're doing this for closing. It's the only Christmas song today. Then, then we're full Christmas until New Year's. There's this version of Oh Holy Night, but it'll never happen. Yeah. <laughs> Believe it or not, I saw a Barlow Girl backing track when I was looking for stuff. I was like, oh, there it really? is. Really? It was just like hallelujah oh. or something. I was like, that's not the right one. And that was the only one that I saw. I looked. I looked. I've been trying for like five years now to do this song because it's like intense. It's. It's not this church style. I mean, it is church style because it's Christian, but it's it's like electric guitar. My husband's working. I've been working on the electric guitar, so maybe next Christmas he and I can do a solo or do it. <laughs> time. Angels, we have to turn on.
this up quicker than I am. <laughs> Where's the button? All right. Okay. Get up there. Ah! Excellent. Excellent. Yes. Thank you. Glad you're here. Okay, we're going to start off. Pre-service is who you say I am. It didn't come over?
Uh, it gives me a little more time, I think, doing it this way to talk about some of the things that are happening. So I want you to keep these things in mind and also read about them in your bulletin. I already talked about decking the halls, but we also have things going on at the uh, at Marmon Valley Farm. That's a mission that we support, a camp that we support, and that happens on December 9th. They do this. One of the things I wanted to mention to you, I, I just I just wanted to mention this. I don't know if it's going to shape your life any, but... While we were eating and, and enjoying our time, there were some deacons in the church that were out uh, in the town uh, delivering meals to different people around town. And so uh, uh, while we were here feasting, they were out working and doing these things, and so I really appreciate that. It, um, it, was, uh, it was good. It was good to do those things. Uh, but if you're, if you're like me, first of all, if you're like me, you got a lot of problems, but if you're like me... After Thanksgiving, after the dinner, doesn't take real long before you start looking in the fridge. Uh, you know, I get home that night, right, and I, we're, we're sitting there, we're eating dinner all day long, you know, just from start to finish, and then, uh, you know, you get home and you, you open the fridge. I don't know if it's a natural reaction, but that's, that's what you do. And we sit down, maybe watch a movie, maybe watch a little football or something, and, and I'm already looking for some leftovers. Look, I enjoy the feast, okay? I enjoy the banquet, don't get me wrong. But there is always this craving, I think, this this hunger that comes when I'm hunting afterwards. There are times, though, when I lose my appetite. Not often, uh, but there are the rare occasions when I lose my appetite. There are some times when I'm no longer hungry, or maybe... I'm not hungry when I should be. You know, this is the, you know, if you have kids, you know the constant struggle of that. Uh, you sit down to dinner, and that's, that happens to be just the one time that day the kids don't want to eat. They'll eat any other time. They'll eat any other thing. But that time, that moment, seems like they don't want to eat, so they're not hungry at the right time. I wonder how hungry we are, how hungry we continue to be. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that we are uh, being continually uh, the recipients of your grace, continually being blessed, Father. We thank you that you have granted us particular and special blessings and mercy in order to be and live and move and be a part, a working part of this kingdom. Father, help us to realize the importance of that and what an incredible gift it is us to be a part of that. Father, rebuild, rekindle the fire in each one of us, Father. We thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. So I asked the question, are you still hungry? Or I say, stay hungry. Stay hungry. This is perhaps one of the biggest issues that we face as followers of Christ. It's this, this hunger begins to wear off. The fire begins to cool. We are told as, Christ, as human beings, but as particularly as those who are seeking Christ to hunger and thirst for righteousness, Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 5, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed beatus, this is where you get the beatitudes, for they will be filled. In fact, we're told that there's a special gift. 
Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are made fortunate. That's what blessed means, that we have a promise that we will be filled with righteousness. But my question extends even further than the desire for righteousness. I ask the question, am I still hungry for the Spirit Himself? Are you hungry? Do you hunger for service and knowledge and wisdom? Do we hunger to walk with Christ, to travel with Him, to live with Him? Do we hunger to be in His presence? Are we still hungry for an eternal kingdom? Because over time, that hunger begins to wane. This hunger church is called spiritual fervor. Spiritual fervor. To be zealous, to have this spiritual fervor. Romans chapter 12, this is what's on the front of your bulletin. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Now church, that isn't a suggestion. We, we, we treat the Bible like it's full of suggestions, don't we? That would be nice if you could. Rarely ever do we have a suggestion, particularly in the epistles. And Paul is very clear when he makes a suggestion. He says, I, Paul, am saying this, not God. He doesn't say it here, though. This is a command. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Would you call yourself zealous? And, and, and when, you, when you ask and answer these questions, this question, don't compare yourself to anyone or anything else, all right? Never, never do that. When you ask the question, would I consider myself zealous? Because you're always going to find somebody who's less zealous and more zealous than you are. The question is, do I still have that spiritual fervor as I reflect upon my own life and my own heart? Do I consider myself zealous? I hope you do. And if so, why? Why are you zealous? Why do you have this spiritual fire? Why are you still hungry for this thing we call church, this thing we call Christianity? Why are you still hungry for the eternal kingdom of Jesus Christ? Why are you hungry for knowledge? Why are you hungry for wisdom? Why is that uh, this, this appetite that you just can't seem to hardly fill and you want it all the time? Ask yourself that question if you consider yourself zealous because perhaps you can help others. But if you don't consider yourself zealous, if I don't have spiritual fervor, you need to ask, why not? What does it even mean to have this spiritual fervor? And I begin asking this in the context of a meal or Thanksgiving. What robs us of our appetite? What steals our hunger? What steals our spiritual spiritual fervor? And how do I gain it again? Church, this was the problem, one of the problems, with the church of Laodicea. And the revelation of Christ, they, they, weren't, they weren't hot, and they weren't cold, they were just kind of going through life, acknowledging Jesus and moving on about life. Revelation chapter 3, Jesus is talking to them, he says, look, I know your deeds, I know your church, I know your mind, I know your heart, I know your home, right, that's what the church is. Church isn't this building when we all come together. It's each and every one of us individually as we go throughout this world. He says, look, I know your deeds. You're neither cold nor hot. Just kind of existing there, aren't you? I wish you were one or the other. But because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. We've talked about this before. The, the, The language here that God uses is you're making me sick to my stomach, he says. We're just kind of existing. We take up our place and we acknowledge that Jesus is the king, 
but we do nothing with the acceptance of Him. This is a terrible testimony. It does more harm than good to the world around us. When we do not have this joy or this peace or this spiritual fervor or desire to be a part of the kingdom, church, there's a lot of people who look at professed Christians and say, whatever you have, I don't want. I don't know what's happening in your life, but whatever you have, I don't want. Based upon your lack of peace, lack of joy, lack of commitment, based upon your lack of thanksgiving, based upon your lack of fire, based upon your lack of hunger, whatever it is you got, I don't want. It's a horrible testimony that the church at Laodicea was having or giving to the world. This is the problem with the parable of the talents. You know the parable of the talents. The master leaves for a while and entrusts his servants, that's you and me, with some gifts. He tells them to invest these gifts. Two of them act right away. This spiritual fervor, this hunger, this desire. The third, third doesn't do anything. He's still there. He's still a servant. He's still attending his church, if you will, but he buries the gift. That his master gave him. And when the master returns, he praises the two and calls the third a wicked and lazy servant. So, what is zeal? What is this spiritual fervor? Church, zeal is not necessarily being always excited about something. See, sometimes we think that's what zeal is. And we say to ourselves, well, that's impossible for me to be zealous all the time, to be excited, to be on this. Uh, you know, the kind of this happy high, I, I guess. That's not what zeal is. That's not what spiritual fervor is. Sometimes it, it doesn't even mean that we are engaged in something that we like doing. There's, there's story after story of men and women throughout Scripture who are considered zealous for God. But the actual act that they are performing or the things they must do in a perfect world on a perfect day, they'd rather not. Certainly when they're confronting others, when they're going into hardship, struggle, when they're teaching some people who reject them, all of this stuff, they'd rather not on a beautiful, wonderful, perfect day. But they do it anyway because of their spiritual fervor, their zealousness for Jesus Christ. Zealous or zeal is this, focused desire. Now how do I know if I am zealous if I have focused desire because it is now characterized by commitment. Characterized by commitment. Focused desire characterized by commitment. This is why I hate the word passion when we talk about the, 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 the things in the church and, the, and following Jesus and service and all this stuff. I, I, we, we overuse the word passion. Passion comes and goes. When it comes to this ability and this gift that we have to live and move and work and operate inside the kingdom of Jesus Christ, we are talking about conviction and commitment, not passion. You can have some passions for things, that's fine. But it, it grows, it wanes, it disappears, it comes back. Passions change. But this, commitment, conviction, can be a part of our very definition so how do we lose our appetites? I was going to put each one of these on the screen, and uh, well, I forgot. I was going to come up with an excuse, but I forgot. So you may, you may want to write these down. How do we lose our appetites? Well, leading up to the banquet, first of all, we need to attend. <laughs> we at least got to go, right? And, and this happens in a number of different ways. This is shown in a number of different ways, whether it's participating in corporate worship with other brothers and sisters in the kingdom of Jesus, or 
It's acceptance of the invitation of Christ. I mean, at the, the very first step, we at least have to go. Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14. This will be on your screen. I'm going to start in verse 16. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet, that's Jesus, and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come for, every, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought a live, uh, five yoke and oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and the alleys and the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there's still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes, compel them to come in. So that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. You see, this is more than just being aware of Jesus. There's a lot of people who are aware of Christ. There's a lot of people who have heard of Jesus and realize that he's kind of a good guy. But none of them accepted the invitation to the banquet, accepted the invitation to be a part of the church, accepted the invitation to be a work alongside of this servant in the kingdom of God. We need to accept the invitation to be a part of the kingdom. Church, the kingdom is here and now. It's not just something in the future. We get to attend the banquet here and now. Jesus was dining with Jewish Pharisees at the time that he told this parable. He was telling them as he tells us, look, guys, you've been invited to the dinner. You've been invited to the banquet. You know that it's there. And you know that this banquet extends forever, but you haven't accepted the invitation. And I love that not everybody he talks to doesn't just say no. Everybody he talks to says no with an excuse. Go through every excuse, take it down to its core. Every single one of them says, I don't have time. How are your excuses? Every single one of them says, I don't have time. I've got something else in my life that's more important than Jesus. That's the bottom line. That's what he's telling us. That's more important than Jesus. And we're not even just, we're not talking about service here. You can, you can add service to this. It's fine. But we're talking about the acceptance of the eternal invitation, the banquet, being a part of the church, being a part of the kingdom of God. I've got other stuff that's taking up my time. Stuff is more important. Every one of them said this. Church, we need to attend the banquet or we're going to lose our appetite right off the bat. We're not even going to have a chance to experience the bounty of Jesus Christ. It's changed my life. 
It's changed my life. It's changed my perspective. I'll tell you what it's done. It has changed the way, service in the kingdom has changed the way I see other people. It has changed the way I see people in this room. It, it's changed the way I see friends and enemies. It's changed the way I see the down and outs. It's the way I, I changed the way I've seen the world. And for the better, hopefully. Gets a little bit more difficult sometimes, but it's changed the life being a part of the kingdom of God. Why else do we lose our appetite? Something bad. I'm just going to leave it there. Something bad. Walked in one time years ago. We got a bad turkey for Thanksgiving. Remember that? Remember the bad turkey year? Yeah. And uh, mom was cooking the turkey. I was home somewhere. And I walked in the door, and I mean, just immediately, I thought, something in right. Something in right. I know what a turkey smells like. This one smells more like a live one than a cooked one. It's something in right. And yeah, I don't, I don't know what was up with the turkey. It was bad. It was, you know, we, so we didn't eat it. Um, I probably would have tried it, but, but we didn't eat it. And I don't know if we got another turkey that yet. I don't remember. But we know, I knew walking in, something smelled bad. Or maybe something looks bad and it takes away your appetite. Maybe you've probably been here, something sounds bad. You ever hear, you ever hear something bad? You ever get bad news? And you say to yourself, I've lost my appetite. I don't feel like eating right now. I don't feel like celebrating right now. And sometimes we're gripped with fear or worry and we lose our appetites. Church, rot and decay can turn the stomach. But so can hearing bad things or evil things. I don't know anybody who gets ready for the banquet by looking at death and decay prior to the meal in order to build an appetite. And yet we're tempted to do it every day by what we read. I can't, I, I, can't underst- I can't understand, and I probably never will understand this. I don't get it, and I don't know if you're like this or not. There are people who willingly put themselves into positions to be upset. I don't get that. I hope I never understand that by what they read, what they talk about, what they listen to. They put themselves knowingly and willingly in position to lose their appetite. It happens. I struggle with this. You read the wrong thing. This happened a couple weeks ago. Sat back in my chair and I thought, you know what? I just want to go home. I don't want to be here. I don't want to do this. You hear the wrong thing. It can turn our spiritual stomachs. We have no appetite because we have no peace. Philippians chapter 4, there's a reason why God tells us to do this. Whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and then what? The God of peace will be with you. This is a command that I have witnessed some people just ignore. And then wonder why. Our hearts are filled with anger or dread or worry or frustration and we lose our appetites. God knows what he's talking about. He gives us a command to focus on that which is excellent and praiseworthy. Not to put our heads in the sand, not to be unaware of the world around us, but our focus, our desire, our thoughts 
focus on that which is excellent and praiseworthy. It can rob us of our appetites when we don't. What else takes our appetite? Sometimes we lose, lose sight of the feast and we fill up on the table scraps. We lose sight of the feast and fill up on the table scraps. Mark chapter 8 says this, For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? To gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul. You ever eaten food while it was being prepared? Some years I do, some years I don't. Some years I say, no, look, I'm, I'm waiting. I'm going to hold off. Wait for the banquet. Because the banquet's coming. The good stuff's coming. The real stuff comes on its way. Other years, I do not. And I have my fill as it's being cooked. You eat a snack there. You eat a scrap here. And unfortunately, when it's time for the banquet to roll around, and I don't know what this is in your life, it may be service or study or prayer or praise. By the time it's actually time for the banquet to roll around, honestly, you're really not in the mood anymore. You're not in the mood. You're filled up. You're filled up with stuff of lesser quality. It's not the banquet. It's not the meal. You're filled up with the table scraps. And so I've lost my appetite for praise. I've lost my appetite for worship. I've lost my appetite for prayer. I've lost my appetite for service. Just really not interested anymore. Read through the parable of the sower in Matthew 13. Do yourselves a favor. Matthew 13, read through the parable of the sower. It's there. It's there. This is just, it's Bible, church. Don't fill up on the table scraps. Your life could be filled up with stuff that may be good, but frankly, it's of lesser quality. We seize the opportunity, church, to eat rock bread. See, this was, this was Jesus in the wilderness. Satan said, hey, why don't you turn these rocks into bread? Eat the rock bread, Jesus. Jesus says, no. He says, what I'm going to eat is the, every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's what's going to sustain me and give me my life. Every word that comes from the mouth of God. John chapter 4, meanwhile, his disciples, this is a different story, urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. This is where I gain my spiritual fervor. There's table scraps all over the place. We think these table scraps are nice. We think these table scraps are good, but they are of lesser quality. And it takes the place in our life. It takes the place of our spiritual fervor. Why else do we lose our appetite? Sometimes it's not ready-made for us. Sometimes the meal, you ever experience this? Sometimes the meal's not ready-made for us. You come home, I talk to Ashley, I say, hey, sweetie, what's for dinner? She says, I'm not making anything. You're going to have to make it yourself. All right, I guess it's cereal. That's, I've lost my appetite. This is, this is what, oh, I have to do it? No, suddenly I'm not hungry anymore, right? I have to make, who makes dinner, who makes, din, who makes Thanksgiving dinner in their home? Just, just out of curiosity, who, we got a few? Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. So you know what it's like. Sometimes you got to make the dinner. I want to serve. 
I want to act. I want to move. I want to give. I want to apply. I want to work. I want to go. I want to invest. Preacher, where's the program? Well, you may have to build it. At the very least, you may have to provide the ingredients. There's a lot of things in life that you got to build. you got to make the dinner. you got to cook it. This is what Jesus tells his disciples. He tells them they need to get their hands into the pot even after Jesus made most of the meal. He says, you still got to get your hands in the pot here. Continuing on, John chapter 4. Don't you have a saying, it's still four months till harvest? I tell you, open your eyes, look at the fields. This is what he's telling his disciples. Why why are you just standing here? They're ripe for the harvest. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may, may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows, another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not, have not worked for. Others have done the hard work. He's already made most of the meal. Now he says, guys, come over to the stove. You've got to help me cook here. You've got to get out there. You've got to do what you say you're going to do. Others have done the hard work, and you reap the benefits of their labor. He tells them to get after it. Sometimes we don't see the whole plan, or we don't see the whole picture. Or we don't see the whole results of our involvement in the kingdom of God. And we lose our appetites. By the way, as is the case with many people, once you start actually doing the cooking, you might find you like it. You might find you like it. It might be right up your alley. Build this, try that. A lot of people start cooking and find that they like it. Why else are we robbed of our appetite? We take no joy in the meal because we don't like turkey. It's a real thing. We take no joy in the meal because we don't like turkey. I've, I've had conversations. I've heard people say this, you know. I'm excited about Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. I'm excited about. And it comes back, the old curmudgeon, right, says, well, I don't like Thanksgiving. Really? You don't like, you, you don't like. What is not to like about Thanksgiving? Oh, he says, I don't like turkey. <laughs> what? You do you don't. So you're going to throw away all of Thanksgiving, the whole banquet, just because you don't like turkey. Just because you don't or can't eat turkey. You ever been to a Thanksgiving feast? There's more on the table than turkey. There's beans. <laughs> Green. And other stuff, probably. There's a lot on the table. You're going to tell me you're going to throw away service in the kingdom? You're going to throw away being a part of the banquet just because you don't like turkey? You don't like one aspect of the dish? I don't go to church because I don't like that church. You know what? There's more than one. I don't like that preacher. I don't blame you. There's others. Look at all the food choices on the table. Church, eat something else. I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't want to go to church because I don't want to sing in the praise band. Well, eat something else then. Do something else. This is serving in your strengths, not your weaknesses. Some people hate work in the kingdom. They hate the banquet. They hate the joy of it. They, they separate themselves of it because they think they just got to eat turkey. Look at it all. 
This is the whole reason God talks about the diversity of believers and the diversity of their interests, talents, gifts, desires. Romans 12, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, don't think more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. We kind of skewed that completely the other way at this point. For just as each of us has one body with many members, these members don't have all the same function. So in Christ, though many form one body, each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to us. If your gift is prophesying, go for it. Prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, serve. If it's teaching, teach. If it's encouraging, encourage. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. There's a lot of dishes on the table, church. I'm not going to have a single one of them. Something's got to pique your interest. Got to get that appetite. Got to get that fire going. Got to get that stomach rumbling. Remember talking to a guy, well, the manager, guy he used to work for. Walked in one day to his office. He said, what's wrong? I said, honestly, man, I said, I don't want to be here. I hate what I'm doing. He says, we got like three different divisions. I said, I just don't like this area of work. And he looks at me like I'm, I, like I got three heads. He says, man, we, why don't you do something else? <laughs> he says, we got all kinds of ways in which you can work and serve in this company. Why do you think you have to work in this area? And it kind of dawned on me. I said, wow, that's, that's true. I can specialize in a couple different things. There are many ways in which we could serve and wonderful things that we could do in the body. Sometimes they're in the church on Sunday mornings and sometimes they're not. The point is we can find something that really piques our appetite. We could do it with fervor. We could do it with excitement. We can do it with zeal. I like preaching. There's stuff in the church I don't care to do. I love doing this. This is one of the wonderful things. And so this is the thing I focus on more than all the, all the others. And these last two, these are really at the core of how and why we lose our appetite. Turkey's great. I like turkey. Don't get me wrong. And I like eating leftover turkey. Had leftover turkey last night, big old turkey leg. I don't want it every day. I don't want it every day. Right? And you probably don't want it every day. You come home and say, hey, what are we having for Thanksgiving? Or what are we having for this meal, this dinner, this banquet? You know, and somebody says, hey, we're having turkey. And you think, excellent, this is exciting, this is great. Once a year, maybe twice a year I have turkey. This is one I'm excited about this. Let's eat. And, and then you come in the next day, what are we having for dinner? Well, we're going to have turkey again. Well, that's, that's great. Turkey twice, two days in a row. Come home the next day, what are we having for dinner? Well, we're having turkey again. Excellent, excellent. <laughs> turkey. Fourth day in a row, what are we having? Turkey. Well, I'm certainly, I'm certainly thankful for the, for, for the turkey that you're making. Finally, the fifth day rolls around. We're having turkey. No, we're not. No, we're not. We're not having turkey. Turkey's good, but sometimes, look, sometimes it can get what we do can get overbearing. The Christian walk is difficult. The Christian walk is hard. Service in the kingdom can be difficult, and time after time after time. I struggle with this, church. Bad stuff, and then more bad stuff, and then more bad stuff. Then you hear the bad stuff, and then on top of that, you got some bad stuff. And then the next day, you get a little bit of bad news. It's just, it can get overbearing. I need this. We need this. We serve here. We need this. We need this, and this, and this, and this, and this. One or two days of turkey is great. The question is this. Do you Sabbath? 
Do you Sabbath? This is something created by God Himself. The concept of Sabbath was made for a reason. And Sabbath was made for us. Mark 2, then He said to them, that is, Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Think about this. There's only seven days in the whole creation account. And a full seventh of it was taken up, just taking a break. Just taking a break. I got a full week this week. I, I don't think, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to be home this week at all, I don't think. Um, and just a lot happened, a lot going on. But not last week. Last week, I purposefully moved everything to this week. I only did my regular duties throughout the day. Why? Because I wanted the Sabbath. I wanted the Sabbath. We got a big season coming up. And so last week, a Sabbath. If you and I had a conversation, I probably said, well, not this week, but let's see if we can move it to next week. I wanted the Sabbath this week. We need to. Every person needs this rest, this Shabbat, to take care of things, to to be spiritually energized. The spiritual discipline of solitude speaks to Sabbath. The discipline of silence speaks to Sabbath. Prayer speaks to Sabbath. Think about it. Jesus had a scant three years to change everything we know about creation. Yet Luke tells us in chapter 5, the news about Jesus spread all the more. So that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sickness. But Jesus, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. There were many times Jesus often, Jesus says, guys, I need a break. I need a break. But here's the thing about Jesus. And here's the thing when it comes to a break, whether it's at work or whether it's Uh, some of our service in the church, whatever it is, Jesus always came back. He always came back. You see, that's the fine line between taking a break and quitting. He had every intention of coming back into that service. He had every intention of coming back into that kingdom. He had every intention of doing the job that he he, he knew he needed to do. He took a break, and then he came back. And I'm not talking about a break from walking with Jesus Christ. I'm not talking about a break from being the church, but there are many times we're in a particular area of service or maybe the rest of our lives are crowding out the kingdom of Christ. We got a Sabbath, guys. We got to take a break. People think Jesus did away with the Sabbath. Jesus never did away with the Sabbath. When he talks about it, he just told us how to use it, what it meant, how we were supposed to do it. We have to Sabbath, church. Sometimes you got to take a break. A break, by definition, means I'm coming back. I'm coming back. And I'm going to come back rejuvenated. And I'm going to come back uh, ready to go. And I'm going to come back refocused. And I'm going to come back ready to work. Sometimes we need a break. And finally, what's the last thing that robs us of our appetite? And that is this. I think sometimes we just forget who we're having dinner with. We just forget who we're having dinner with. There's a lot of people, a lot of people we interact with, a lot of people we serve. Sometimes we forget who's actually 
at the banquet, Revelation 19. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder shouting, Alleluia, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give Him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her, given to her for her to wear. Then the angel said to me, write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. This is who we get to have dinner with. In front of you, church, today, tomorrow, throughout this week, might be the form of a friend. It might be the form of the church or a church member. It might be the form of a stranger, maybe even the form of an enemy. But that's not really who you're having dinner with at that moment, at that time, in that second. That's not really who you're inviting to the banquet right now. That's not really who you're sitting down to dine with. You know, it's fascinating. When Paul, before his conversion, was persecuting the church, he was persecuting the people in the church, Jesus confronts him on the road in Damascus and says, Paul, why are you persecuting who? Me. Me. We forget who we've got coming to dinner, church. Matthew 25, then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? When did we see you thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go and visit you? Then the king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. That's who we're having dinner with. That's what this banquet is. That's what this supper is. That's what we get to experience in this life and the next. Remember, the kingdom of God is not just something in the future. It's something now. Do we still have that spiritual fervor? And I'll tell you something. This is what changes my mind. Because I wrestle with this all the time, church. I wrestle with it all the time. Usually, I've got to talk to somebody, not to have an answer, not some equation, but just to change my perspective on it and realize who's actually coming to dinner. You got the king recognizing, knowing, realizing. And the two of you get to sit down and dine as you're serving, praying with, singing about, studying, pray, whatever it is. You and the king get to sit down and dine together. It's not as though it goes unnoticed. It's not as though it goes unnoticed. It's the two of you, the two of you in service. Romans chapter 12 tells us that love must be sincere. What does sincere love look like? What does sincere love look like when you're being a part of the kingdom, when we want to be a part of the banquet, when it's a part of the church, when it's, when it's walking this Christian road in this Christian life? What does it look like to have sincere love? We, sometimes we think it means you actually have to know the person and have the, the feeling in the pit of your stomach and weak knees that this is some sort of serious love. That's not what Jesus is saying. Paul sums it up very well in Colossians chapter 3. Whatever you do, whatever you do, Work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. As a matter of fact, he's talking to people who have a very rough time talking to slaves and masters. He says, since you know that you'll receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. It's the Lord Christ you're serving. This is who you're sitting down to eat with, church. And I don't know anybody who's not going to show up to that banquet. Oh, you may not. I don't know. You're probably going to come across. You may come across some people in life. Maybe. 
who just don't care. I just don't care. And I'm going to show up, do my thing. I'll keep my seat warm at the church, but the rest of this stuff, nope. There's nothing a whole lot I can do. I, I, can't, I can't change their minds. But you, you get to see this incredible feast, this banquet, as you and Christ. I, I'm, I'm reminded of, I wish we saw it this way. Elisha is, is uh, there's a, there's a, 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 Second Kings chapter 6, there's, a, there's an army coming to invade where Elisha is. And he sees the army coming to invade, and his servant is standing there, and his servant's kind of wringing his hands. He says, oh, no, we're lost. We're in trouble. You know, what are we going to do? And Elisha prays. He says, open my servant's eyes so he can see what's actually happening here. And his servant's eyes are open, and he sees on the hills. He sees chariots of fire. He sees armies of angels surrounding them, protecting them. You see, this is what I think of sometimes when it comes to the dinner that you and I get to experience, the banquet you and I get to experience here now in the form of other people. I, I want so desperately sometimes to say, open our eyes so we can actually see what's happening here. So we can actually experience Jesus and me sitting down to eat together. It's a wonderful gift. Wonderful gift. Keep that hunger, church. And if you've lost it, you need, just as I do, when you talk to people about this, you get to, this change in perspective that reignites that appetite. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that we do get to serve. We thank you that we get to be a part of this kingdom. And we thank you, Father, that we, we know that this is a gift. This is a gift that you have bestowed upon us here today. And this gift has not been bestowed upon everyone. We get a chance to live, move, serve, operate inside your kingdom. Father, help us not to lose that zeal, that spiritual fervor. I really, we have bad days, Father. We have sad days. I, help us, though, to realize that this is our mission. This is our purpose. It's our calling. Regardless of what anybody else says, this can't be taken away, Father. Help us to see this, to live this out day by day, to know that you and me get to sit down at the table and we get to dine together. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand and sing.
Father, once again, we thank you. We thank you that we could be a part of this body, these brothers and sisters. Father, I thank you for servants in your church, in your kingdom. I thank you for those who pray. I thank you for those who sing. I thank you for those who teach. I thank you for those who serve. Father, I thank you for those who just want to be a part of the fellowship of this body and bodies around the world, Father. Help us to realize as we leave this place to have, to see Jesus to realize that we get to experience life with him through the form, by his own words, through the form of all the wonderful things that we get to do in your kingdom. Father, help us to keep that hunger, to keep that that spiritual fervor in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Had a joyful Thanksgiving holiday. Um, I... Not going to get this belt anymore. It is defective. Shrinks up too much. So uh, apparently, whoever makes this belt got to got to do a little better. I told you I wanted to tell you, and I'm sure that you may struggle with as well, or some of you probably struggle with this. Um, if you're anything like me. <laughs> I mean, come on, who's like me? But if you're anything like me, after Thanksgiving, after the meal, it doesn't take you real long before you go looking for leftovers, right? Before you go rifling through the fridge or rifling through the, the you know, kitchen to look for. So we had, we had dinner, you know, and we show up back at the house that evening and, and, you know, immediately we sit down, I think maybe watching a movie or something. And I get up and start going through the fridge. You know, Ashley asked me, where are you going? I said, well, I'm going through the fridge. She said, you got to be kidding me. Are you serious? I said, yeah. I said, I'm, I'm hungry. You know, I eat. 
Uh, I'm, a, I'm a growing boy, and so I'm, I'm always looking for something. Now, there are times when I lose my appetite. There's, there's not a lot of times, but there are times when I lose my appetite. You've probably lost your appetite at one point or another throughout the years. I'm no longer hungry, no longer feel hungry, or maybe I'm not hungry when I ought to be hungry. Anybody who's ever had kids knows this. When it comes time to, for dinner, that's the one time out of the day they don't want to eat. And the rest of the time, they want to eat. Uh, and, uh, well, we, we struggle with that in, in, in our house, too, and that's just the way it goes. The question for you and for me is, are you hungry? Are you hungry? Or maybe the statement, stay hungry. Stay hungry in your life. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you. We thank you for this opportunity to be, uh, to be challenged, but to be informed, Father, and, 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 and maybe to help us see and realize some of these things that are happening in our lives that we don't see with our eyes, but we see, uh, we know that are going on behind the scenes. And Father, we ask that you help us to rekindle this fire, as it were, to maintain this appetite, this desire to be fed, and this desire to live and work and operate in your kingdom, Father. I thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. So are you still hungry? This is uh, one of the biggest issues, I think, that we face as a church. I think it's one of the biggest issues we face as followers in Christ and certainly in our culture. Uh, We don't get hungry. We don't get hungry enough. And we certainly don't stay hungry for our service in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. You know, we are told, you and I, actually not just Christians, everybody is told this. Christians at least take it to heart. We are told to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. Hunger and thirst for this right standing before the Father. Matthew chapter 5, the Beatitudes, blessed, beatus, that's where you get Beatitudes. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now, not only is it a command for us, but it's a gift. We are blessed. We are made fortunate. That's what blessed means. Because we're promised they will be filled. They will be made righteous if they hunger and thirst for righteousness. But the question is really more than a desire for righteousness. The question is, are we still hungry or are you still hungry for the Spirit Himself? Are we still hungry for knowledge? Are we hungry for wisdom? Are we hungry for service? Do we hunger to be with Christ, to dine with Christ, to travel with Him, to live with Him? to be in His presence? Do we care? Are we, are we hungry to be in the presence of Jesus Christ? Are we hungry for the eternal kingdom of God? This hunger is called spiritual fervor. Spiritual fervor. And you may wrestle again, as I said at the very beginning, I wrestle with this sometimes. Romans chapter 12, again a command, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Keep your spiritual fervor Serving the Lord. Now, this is not a suggestion. This is a command. We treat a lot of the things in Scripture like suggestions. Uh, and matter, Paul's very clear when he gives a suggestion rather than a command in his letters. He says, this is me, Paul, saying, and not God saying. And he doesn't do anything of the kind right here. This is God telling us, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. Would you consider yourself a zealous person? a zealous person for Jesus Christ, a zealous person for the kingdom. And when you ask yourself these types of questions, make sure you don't compare yourself to anybody else. Because no matter who you are, there's going to be somebody who's more zealous for Jesus and less zealous for Jesus than you are. 
So ask yourself, do you consider yourself a zealous person, someone with spiritual fervor? And if so, why? Why do you consider yourself someone who is zealous, someone who's willing and able, someone who wants to be a part of the kingdom, someone who wants to learn and grow in knowledge and pray and wisdom, someone who wants to serve, someone who wants to be a part of this church here and around the world? Why do you consider yourself zealous? Because if you can identify that in your own life, if you can know that in your own life, perhaps you can help others. Perhaps you can help others. Perhaps you can help me on those days, right? You've all had those days. And maybe I can give you a call and you can say, hey, look, let me help give you perspective if you find yourself zealous, consider yourself zealous. But if you don't consider yourself zealous, why not? You've got to answer this question too. Why don't I have spiritual fervor? Why don't I have this hunger inside of me? After all, we are talking about the greatest gift that's ever been given to you. We're talking about a kingdom eternally for you. We're talking about never a, a, a tear of sadness, but tear of joy. We're talking about peace. We're talking about eternal life. We're talking about being in the presence of God Himself. Why do we lack? Why do we lose our appetite for these things? What does it even mean to be zealous? See, I began asking this stuff in the context of a meal. I began asking in the context of Thanksgiving, if you will, what robs us of our appetite? What steals, what steals our hunger What steals our spiritual fervor, and perhaps how do I gain it again? This was the problem in the church in Laodicea, in the Revelation. Uh, Jesus is revealing this to John. John's writing it down. But the church in Laodicea was not, they weren't hot, they weren't cold. They were just kind of existing. And I hope that this is not our condition. What is the church? What is the church? The church is us together, but the church is also you by yourself. Okay? So when Jesus is writing to the church, he's writing to each and every person here. He says, I know your deeds, that you're neither hot nor cold. I know your deeds. He says, I know your mind. I know your heart. I know your church. I know your home. I know how you walk. I know what you think about. I know what the desire is in your life and the lack of desire in your life to serve in the kingdom, to be a part of the kingdom. He says, I know your deeds. It's not hidden from me. I know everything about you. You you can fool yourself and you can fool others, but you're not going to fool me, says Jesus. You're not hot and you're not cold. He says, I wish you were one or the other. But because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. And again, we've talked about this before. The wording there in the Greek is, you make me sick to my stomach. That's what he's saying. You make me sick to my stomach. I thought he was my God. I thought he was my Savior. I thought he was my Father. I thought he was my friend. And here he's saying, hey, look, you make me sick to my stomach, to be honest with you. If you're just existing, if you're just giving me so much lip service, he says, that's not what I want. I don't want that in my kingdom. I don't want that in your life. He says, I want you to keep your spiritual fervor. Because this is very dangerous testimony. If we're not changed by the presence of Christ in our life, This is a testimony we give that's destructive to the church. People look at the, there are people that look at the Christian, the Christian, the professed Christian that's full of anger and bitterness and frustration, the professed Christian that's full of boredom, the professed Christian that's full of a lack of zeal and all the hopelessness, whatever it is. People look at that Christian and they say, whatever you have, I don't want. (laughs) Whatever you have, I don't want it. I mean, you keep telling me how great and how wonderful and how fantastic this kingdom of Jesus Christ is, and I'm going to trust my senses. Whatever you have, I don't want. 
And this is what was happening at the church Laodicea. They were having, they were giving a terrible testimony, a dangerous testimony. This is the problem of the parable of the talents. The master leaves for a while and entrusts his servants with some gifts. He tells them to invest these gifts, and two of them act right away. That is spiritual fervor. They invest in the lives of others. The third doesn't do anything. He buries it. When the master returns, he praises the two, even though they took a risk. But he calls the third a wicked and lazy servant. So are you zealous? What is zeal anyway? Many times people think zeal is excitement or constant excitement. I've got to always be excited about whatever I'm doing. I've got to always want to do it. Or I've always got to be happy about it. Church, that's not zeal. If that was zeal, it wouldn't be happening all the time. There would be no command to maintain zeal all the time or spiritual fervor all the time. Zeal is not necessarily being excited and high, uh, this, this, this happy high all the time. It's not necessarily wanting to do something or perform an act. Zeal is this, focused desire characterized by commitment. Focused desire characterized by commitment. The focused desire being Jesus Christ himself, be in his presence, serve him, be, be, you know, have this relationship with him. That's the focused desire characterized. What's it look like? Characterized by commitment. That's why I hate the word passion. Well, I don't hate the word passion. I don't use the word passion, particularly not when it comes to Scripture. I don't like that. People, that's overused and beat to death anyway, and most people don't even understand what it means. When we talk about serving the kingdom, when we talk about being a part of the kingdom of Jesus Christ, when we talk about being a part of the church, the eternal church, we're talking about conviction and commitment. We're not talking about passion. Passion comes and goes. All right, passion changes. Passion's high, passion's low, passion changes. It, it, it's fine to be passionate about certain things, I guess, but I'm more interested in conviction. I'm more interested in commitment when it comes to serving the kingdom of Jesus Christ. You know, there are just story after story of men and women in Scripture called zealous, very zealous for God, and they're doing things that they'd rather not do. On a beautiful, perfect, wonderful day in a perfect world, they would rather not be engaged in some of the things in which they are engaged. They don't look forward to it. They don't take joy out of it. But sometimes they need to go through the difficult stuff and hard stuff or have the hard conversation or the confrontation or whatever it may be. They'd rather not do it, yet they do it. They carry it out because of their commitment to God, and they're called zealous. They just have this spiritual fervor about them. So how do we lose our appetite? That's zeal, by the way. That's the spiritual appetite. That's spiritual fervor. How do we lose our appetite? Number one is this. I was going to write these down and put them on the screen, but I forgot. So you can write them down um, if you want to. How do we lose our appetite? Well, leading up to the banquet, first of all, we need to attend. We need to go to the bank. We need to show up. That's right. And that, and that, that's part of the battle, showing up. And attend can mean your local church, your local body. It can also mean acceptance of the truth of Christ. This is what Jesus talks about here in his parable. It's acceptance of who Jesus is and what Jesus is. It's not just acknowledgement. It is acceptance of Jesus as Lord and Savior. We need to be aware of the invitation to the banquet, but we also need to accept it. Luke chapter 14 says this, starting in verse 16, Jesus replied, he says, Look, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant 
to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything's now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field. I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, look, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry, and he ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. Bring the ones who are at least going to say yes. I don't, know what, I don't know how you see yourself, and I don't know what your past is, your history is. I don't know what your present is. I don't know how filled up your table was at Thanksgiving. What Jesus cares about are the ones who say yes. I'm going to do this. I'm going to accept the truth of Christ, and I'm going to be a servant in the kingdom. He says, go out and find anybody who's willing to say yes. Verse 22, sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there's still room. He says, then the master told the servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes, compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of the banquet because they didn't accept it. They all acknowledged it, didn't they? They were all aware of the invitation to come into the king's presence to serve, to be a part of the church, to accept the lordship of Christ, to be a part of the eternal banquet. They were all aware of it, but there's a deliberate acceptance that must happen to even be invited to the banquet. It's more than being aware. The kingdom is here and now. We get to attend here and now. The kingdom of God is not just in future days. Please don't think that that's what it is. That's a misunderstanding of what the kingdom of God is, that it's only in the future. From God's perspective, future, past, it doesn't even make a whole lot of sense. The kingdom of God is here. It is now. At this time, Jesus was dining with the Jewish Pharisees when he told them this parable, and he was telling them the same thing he tells us. Look, you guys have been invited to the dinner, particularly you Jewish Pharisees. But you haven't accepted the invitation. And notice every single one of these people Jesus asked, they didn't just say no. Every last darn one of them had an excuse. Probably sounded real good to them, too. They probably thought it was original, too. Right? They had an excuse. Basically, in one way or the other, all of them saying, I just don't have the time. I just don't have the time. Read it yourself. They're all saying, look, I don't have time to do this. I don't have time to be a part of the kingdom. I don't have time to go to the banquet. I don't have time to learn. I don't have time to pray. I don't have time to worship. I don't have time, certainly don't have time to serve. I don't have time. Why? Because there were more important things in their life than Jesus. Be careful what you profess. Be careful what you say. There were more important things in their life Then Jesus, how did Jesus know it? By what they did. (laughs) By how they spent their time. By what they focused on. Look, you at least got to go, you at least got to show up at the banquet church. You at least got to be a part of the church and the kingdom of Jesus Christ. What else robs us of our appetite? Well, something bad. And I'm just going to leave it there. Something bad. A bad smell. A bad taste, looking at something bad, death, decay, rotting, whatever it may be. Something bad often robs us of our appetite. We had a, 
a turkey one year that was bad uh, years ago. I was, I don't know, I was home, I was home, uh, walked in, I think I was living in Columbus at the time, I walked in, walked home, walked into the kitchen and, you know, inhaled, right, the wonderful aroma. And the second I did, I thought, uh-oh, something's off here, something's off. I mean, I know what turkey smells like. This smelled more like a live turkey, really, than, than a cooked turkey, the whole house. You know, I thought, wow, what is going on? I remember my, my, my mom turns and looks at me as I'm walking in, and I smelled everything, and I kind of looked at her, and she locked eyes with me, and she said, okay, that's what I thought. I mean, that's, that's how that went. And, and I'm telling you, you smell something bad. You smell something that isn't right. You smell something maybe rotten. It turns your appetite. It, it takes your appetite away. But something that sounds bad also could change you. Have you ever heard, have you ever gotten bad news and said to yourself, look, I've, I've lost my appetite. I'm, I'm really not in the mood. I'm not in the mood to eat. I'm not in the mood to celebrate. I'm not in the mood. I've just I've lost my appetite. And why? Because we're gripped with fear or worry and because we lose our, and that's why we lose our appetite. Church, rot and decay can turn our stomachs, but so can hearing and talking about and being involved in bad or evil or ugly things. I don't know anybody who goes out looking for death prior to a meal in order to build their appetite. Yet people do it every day. Something I will never understand. I'm never going to I hope I never understand this. I don't understand it now. I hope I die never understanding this. There are people that will go out of their way throughout the day by what they read, by what they hear, by what they talk about, by what they immerse their minds in. They will go out of their way to upset themselves. I don't get that. I never want to get that. I mean that. It's not a joke. I never want to understand that person. I don't want to live that way. You see, we have a command from God to focus on the beautiful and righteous things of life. Again, this is not a suggestion. We go out of our way to annoy and frustrate ourselves, and then we wonder why we've lost our appetite. Does that make any sense to anybody? We have a command to focus on the beautiful things, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely. Whatever's admirable, if anything's excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard of me or seen in me, put it into practice. What happens? The God of peace will be with you. Doesn't mean stick your, whole, uh, your head in a hole in the ground. Doesn't mean be unaware of the time and the place and the culture in which you live. That's just being irresponsible. But it doesn't mean also to dwell upon those things, certainly to the point of upsetting and losing our appetite when it comes to service in the church. I, this has happened to me, and, and a matter of fact, uh, I fasted from a lot of, of the stuff I was reading because of it. I read an article about a month ago, and I remember sitting back in my chair in the office and thinking, boy, I just want to go home. And I meant it. I, I don't want to do this. I mean, it hit me. It was a shot to the stomach. You got to be careful about what comes in, church, because it'll ruin your appetite. And then it gets very, very difficult to want to serve with spiritual fervor and live out this walk with Jesus Christ. It's a command, church, to focus on the wonderful, excellent, and beautiful, and noble things. And it's a command that many people just ignore. And then we wonder why our hearts are filled with anger and dread and frustration. What else robs us of our appetite? We lose sight of the feast and we fill up on the table scraps. 
We lose sight of the feast. We forget about the feast and we fill up on the table scraps. Mark chapter 8, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? What good is it to fill up on table scraps and not participate in the banquet, the banquet now and the banquet eternal? You ever eaten food while it was being prepared? I, I do, some years I do this. Some years I, I hold back, you know. I know the meal's coming. And I know it looks really good and I know it smells really good, but I'm not going to eat it. I'm going to wait so that I can really enjoy the banquet, you know. Other years, as soon as somebody's got their back turned, I'm in there, you know, taking it with me, eating throughout the day. The problem is this, if I fill up on the table scraps, the actual banquet, the beauty of it, the wonder of it, the, 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 the thrill of it, it it's going to be there and I'm not going to be hungry anymore. I'm just not that interested. Why? Because I've filled up on table scraps. There's all kinds of table scraps in this world. What you need to do, do yourself a favor, read Matthew chapter 13 and you will hear about the parable of the sower and how some of the seeds fell on different parts and, and some of these seeds fell on ground that was just choked by the different aspects and, and enticements of life and all of these other things just kind of choked out our appetite for Jesus Christ and his kingdom the banquet is in front of you and we're not hungry for it because we've wasted our appetites on things of lesser quality and I don't know what the banquet is the banquet could be a number of different things. It could be a part of the church. It could be reverence for Jesus Christ. It could be service. It could be study. It could be prayer. It could be praise. It could be all these wonderful things. And frankly, we're just not interested anymore. Filled up on stuff that, yeah, may sound good. It may seem good. It may even be good. But it's of lesser quality than the feast itself. You see, we seize the opportunity to eat rock bread. Jesus knew better. If Jesus, Matthew chapter 4, he's in the desert, right? And Satan says, hey, you're the son of God. Turn the rocks into bread. And Jesus says, no thanks. I got, I got a better meal coming. He says, man, to live on bread alone, man lives. We'll get to that one here in a second. He says, man, to live on bread alone, man lives on every word that comes from the mouth of God. John chapter 4, this is what's on your screen. Meanwhile... It's a different story. His disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. This is what gave him the energy. He needed the drive. He needed this is the appetite he had. There was this, there was this, this, his stomach was rumbling. And the only thing that could fill it was to do what the Father wanted. There was a hunger about him. And it made him full. Not physically, but it made him full. It made him satisfied by doing the will of the Father. Don't lose sight of the feast, church. Don't get, don't get distracted by all the table scraps. They look good, but you're going to miss out on the feast. You're going to lose this hunger. Why else do we lose our appetite? Sometimes it's not ready-made for us. Sometimes the meal just isn't ready-made for you. Who makes, just, somebody's got to make it. Who makes the meal? Who makes the Thanksgiving meal? And, yeah, we got, who, who else? Who, in this room, we got a few? Okay, we got a couple. Okay. Somebody's got to make it, right? You know? I, I don't know what that's like, but somebody has to. I get to show up and eat it. 
Yeah. Gary and I got that part, all right? Sometimes the meal isn't ready-made. I'll get home sometimes hungry, right? And I'll ask, I'll ask Ashley, hey, sweetie, what's for dinner? She says, well, I'm not making anything tonight. You're on your own. Okay, cereal, right? Cereal, that's the go-to. That's it. Tonight we're eating cereal. And with bologna, and, that's, and, I'm, and I'm satisfied with it. That's fine. But sometimes it's not ready-made, and so you lose your appetite. I want to serve, preacher. I want to act. I want to move. I want to give. I want to apply. I want to work. I want to go. I want to invest. I want to do all this. So where is the program? Well, sometimes you've got to build it, right? At the very least, you've got to provide the ingredients, Here's how you do it. I've told people many times, look, I, I love this, and I'll help you get it off the ground, but you've got you to help me out here. You've got to show me. What are you thinking? What do you, what do you want? Where are we going with this? What's your goal? What's your vision? You've got to provide the ingredients here, and I'll help you cook it. I'll help you cook it. Sometimes you've got to build. This is what Jesus tells his disciples. He tells his disciples, look, you've got to get your hands into the pot. Even after Jesus made most of the meal. He tells his disciples, you got to get your hand in the pot. Luke chapter 4, don't you have a saying, it's still four months till harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields, boys. Come on. you got to be cooking here. Get around the table. Get around the oven here. You're going to help me out. Look at the fields. They're ripe for the harvest. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and, the har- and harvests a crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows, another reaps is true. Look, I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work. You have reaped the benefits of their labor. But even in all of this, as he has already prepared the meal, as it were, this is what he chastises them for. He says, guys, get in here. Look, you got to work. you got to bring in the harvest. you got to be a part of cooking this meal. He tells them, get after it, fellas. Sometimes we don't see the whole plan. We don't see all the results. And because of that, we lose our appetites. Forget about it. We say, I'm not hungry anymore. By the way, And many of you might have experienced this in your life. If you've never cooked the meal and then you start cooking the meal, you might find that you really enjoy cooking. You might find that this is a lot of fun. This is a part of your life now. Building these things and and these structures in the church or or, or these opportunities. And certainly we get that in the kitchen too. Why else do we lose our appetite? Sometimes we take no joy in the meal because we don't like turkey, and that's a real thing, okay? Sometimes we take no joy. See, I've had, a converse, I've had conversations with people before, and at least once in my life, I had a conversation with a guy who said, look, it's, you know, it's Thanksgiving. I'm excited about Thanksgiving. I love Thanksgiving. I'm ready for this. I, you know, I can't wait. To... And he told me, he said, well, I hate Thanksgiving. I don't like Thanksgiving. Really? You know, I'm thinking some trauma has happened in his life, which would make a little bit of sense, I guess. I said, why? Why Why don't you like Thanksgiving? Well, I don't like turkey. (laughs) What? What? I don't, I don't like, I don't like, so let me, so you're going to throw away the entire holiday, the entire meal, the entire feast, the entire day, just because you don't like one aspect of it. Just because, have you ever seen a Thanksgiving table? There's a lot of stuff on there. There's turkey and, and, and beans and other stuff and pie and all kinds of stuff on this table. Why don't you just eat something else? 
just eat some. I don't like that. I don't, I don't go to church because I don't like that church. Well, there's a thousand other ones, man. Well, I don't like that preacher. Well, I don't blame you. I don't like that preacher either, but there's other preachers. What are you, why are you throwing away this whole thing just because you don't like throwing away this whole banquet just because you don't like turkey? Sometimes we think that's where we have to serve or how we have to serve. All the things associated with this banquet, there's many different choices. There's one aspect you may not like. Well, eat something else. This is serving in your strengths and not your weaknesses. Some people, they go through life and they serve in one area of the church or serve in one area of their life and they think all they have to eat is turkey. Look at it all. Look, the whole reason God talks about the diversity of believers and the diversity of their interests and talents and gifts and desires is because we all get to operate in the kingdom in ways that actually do fulfill us. Romans 12, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment and accords with the faith God has driven to each of you when it comes to your service in the church, which, by the way, we've basically 180 degrees skewed the other way on all of that. Oh, we don't want to do anything. For just as each of us is one body with many members, and these members don't have all the same function, so in Christ, though many form one body, each member belongs to the others. We have different gifts According to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, go for it, says Paul. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's encouraging, then encourage. Do what you eat what you want to eat. If it's giving, give generously. If it's a lead, do it diligently. If it's show mercy, do it cheerfully. Look, there's a lot of ways inside the church walls and outside the church walls that you can participate, walk along with Christ, give an incredible, incredible testimony in the kingdom of Christ. If you don't like preaching, don't preach. There's a hundred other things that you can do. Sometimes it's just listening, right? Sometimes it's just walking with. Sometimes it's just bearing up with. Incredible testimonies. Ways in which we can participate in the banquet. I don't care if you don't like turkey, don't eat it. Don't eat it. There's other things to eat. The last two reasons are really, I think, some of the big reasons why we lose our appetites and also, so, also how we can maybe gain some of these appetites back. Number one is this. Look, turkey's good. I like turkey. I like, tur- I like turkey and I like leftovers. Day one, day two of turkey. Day five or six of turkey or day ten. No, it's too much. It's too much turkey, right? It's too much. Yeah, this is what, right? This is what you have on Thanksgiving. Hey, what are we having for dinner? Well, we're having turkeys. Thanksgiving. All right, having turkey. And then it's leftover time. What are we having for dinner? Well, we got some leftover turkey. We're having turkey. All right, fantastic. Day three rolls up. What are we having for dinner? Well, we're having turkey. Okay, fantastic. I'm thankful for that turkey. That's great. Day four rolls around. What are we having for dinner? We're having turkey. Really? Day five rolls around. We're having turkey. No, no, we're not. No, we're not. We're not having turkey. Right? Look, sometimes it can get difficult. The Christian walk walking against the current of the world, as it were, service sometimes, all these things, sometimes it can get overbearing. It really can be quite a weight that we have to bear up under. And sometimes, sometimes it's bad news, followed by other bad news in people's lives, and you're bearing with them, and you're carrying them, and you're helping them, right? Or you're serving. Sometimes the whole world seems against you, in the middle of uh, uh, where your family is or maybe where you work or whatever it is, and it gets difficult to continue to go against the grain. 
Sometimes you hear some bad news, and the day after that, some bad news. The day after that, it's a little bit more bad news. And sometimes after that, you're helping somebody out with a difficulty in life. And after that, it sums up with some more tragedy. At some point, you got to take a break. The question is, do you Sabbath? If it seems overbearing, if it seems like you do need a break in the kingdom, because we don't want to take a break from Christ. We don't want to take a break from the church. We don't want to say, look, I don't want to have anything to do with this for a while to lay Jesus down and then somehow pick him back up again. But Sabbath is important. Do you Sabbath? Sometimes you need to Sabbath from a particular role. Sometimes you need to Sabbath from a particular job. Sometimes you need to Sabbath from responsibilities in the head and the heart and the mind. Sometimes you need to take a break. I got a full week this week. I'm not going to be home. In all seriousness, I won't be home really at all this week, okay? It's just the way it goes, but not last week. Last week, I knew this week and this season was coming, so last week, and I probably had a conversation with some of you about this, hey, can we meet, you know, this evening? No, let's push it to next week. Why? Because last week, I Sabbath. I, I came in here, and I did my regular responsibilities, regular duties throughout the day, but I was out the door every day by 3 o'clock, and I, I said, I'm going to Sabbath this week. I'm going to Sabbath, because I know that there's a lot of stuff and a lot of late you know, whatever it is coming up. Do you Sabbath? Do you Sabbath? And sometimes it's Sabbathing from, again, your job. Maybe it's a Sabbath from a responsibility. Maybe it's a Sabbath from uh, the weight that you bear. Maybe it's a Sabbath from a particular area of service. Do you Sabbath? Jesus had a scant three years to change all of humanity. And Luke tells us this in chapter 5. I'm sure you've heard this before. Somewhere. Luke says this. The news about Jesus spread all the more so that the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sickness. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places, prayed. There was a lot of times Jesus Sabbath. Sabbath. There was many times Jesus said, Look, I, I, I need to take a break. You only have three years. What do you mean take a break? I gotta take a break. Because I want to be hungry when I do this. I want to be filled up with the Spirit. You see, the, the discipline of solitude speaks to Sabbath. The, the discipline of, of, of silence speaks to Sabbath. Prayer speaks to Sabbath. All of these things speak to the discipline of Sabbath. We think Jesus did away with the Sabbath. He, Jesus never did away with the Sabbath. He just showed us what it actually meant. He reminds us, we'll go back a verse, reminds us in Mark chapter 2, that the Sabbath was not made for man. Man was made for the Sabbath. Think about that. The creation account, there's only seven days in the creation account. And a full one-seventh of that is taken up, just taking a break. Just taking a break. A full one-seventh is just taking a break. Sometimes you need to take a break, and you need the Sabbath. But Jesus, when he went away, always returned. He always returned. He always intended to return, and he always did return. See, that's the big difference between taking a break and quitting, right? There's taking a break, and there's quitting. Sometimes, sometimes you stop one and serve in another area, right? You're done with turkey. You want to eat over here. That's fine. But other times you say, look, I don't want to have anything to do with the church. I'm out of here. That's not taking a break. That's just quitting. That's just stopping, okay? I, as a matter of fact, I got a lot of respect for somebody who says, look, I've had enough turkey. I don't want turkey anymore. I want, I want, to, I want this dish. I want to serve here. But sometimes we walk away, we don't want to come back. Jesus always 
came back after a break. He always returned. And that's the difference. You have to Sabbath in your life. And finally, what's the last thing that robs us of our appetite? We forget who we're actually having dinner with. I think we forget who we're actually having dinner with. If I told you Jesus, isn't, Jesus in the flesh was going to be at my house, I guarantee you'd be there. We forget who we're having dinner with. Revelation 19, then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder shouting hallelujah. For our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. That's you and me, the bride. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her to wear. Verse 9, then the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. I think sometimes we forget when we're serving or when we're living out our Christian walk who we're actually having dinner with. In front of us, in front of you, church, this week may be the form of a friend. It may be the form of a church member. maybe the form of a stranger. It may be in the form of an enemy. But as we're talking to them, as we're helping them, as we are experiencing, as we are living out love to them or for them, they are not really who we're having dinner with, are they? They're not really who we're sitting down at the table with. You know, it's interesting, when Paul was persecuting the church before his conversion, he was confronted by Jesus, and Jesus says, Paul, why are you persecuting who? Me. Jesus said, why are you persecuting me? I'm not persecuting you, Jesus. I'm just persecuting all these other people. You don't understand how this works, Paul. Why are you persecuting me? When we serve, when we love, when we be a part of the banquet, when we live out this church, when we live out the Christian walk inside these, these, these walls and outside these walls, we are dining with Jesus himself. Matthew 25, then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go and visit you? And you know what the king says. The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Don't forget who you're dining with, church. See, this is why we lose our appetite, because we forget that Jesus is sitting at the table. There's so many times I'm reminded of Elisha. Chapter Second Kings, chapter six, where there's there's basically an army uh, coming down to, to to carry off Elisha in this this town, and he's watching them come in, and his servant is standing with him on the wall watching this army come in, you know, and his servant is just losing his mind because he's scared, he's worried, he's this, he's that, he doesn't understand what's going on. He says, "What are we going to do?" And Elisha, again, you can read this, Second Kings chapter six, Elisha asks God to open the eyes of his servant so that the servant could really see what was actually going on. And, of course, his eyes were open, and he saw multitudes of chariots, of angels, of fire, of armies that were surrounding this city, and really they were never going to allow anything to hurt this city hurt and, 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 and this city to fall at this particular time. You see, when it comes to inviting people to dinner, when it comes to being a part of this banquet and this dinner in our service, in our Christian walk, in our interactions with others, in our love shown that Brian told us about during our uh, communion time, we're dining with Christ. That's who you're talking to. That's who you're serving. That's who 
you're being patient with and who you're bearing up with. Romans 12 says this, love must be sincere. Sometimes we think that that means you must genuinely have this genuine affection or this pit of your stomach feel, weak knee feel uh, for somebody else. And that's, that's not really what that looks like. Sincere love is this absolute devotion and dedication to Jesus Christ, and that overflows into how we operate, into how we treat, into how we interact with others. It's the same thing as Jesus saying this here, Colossians chapter 3, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you're actually serving. See, this helps us build. I need my perspective changed sometimes, and that's what I do. I, I call people, I email people, I, on the really hard days. I, I never ask for an answer. They, they're, they're not going to give me an equation that says, do this, try this, do this, and then you're going you're to be perfectly fine. What I want is perspective. That's what I want. Help me to have the right perspective in the midst of something difficult. I'm not hungry today. Help me get hungry. Help me get hungry. Help me realize how important this spiritual fervor is. You can call me and I'll probably tell you, hey, look, you and I both, brother, let's go, let's go through it together. Let's go through it together. Um, and that's what we get. We get perspective when we talk to others and they help us through this. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you have challenged us to stay hungry. And we know, Father, that there's good days and bad days, and there's happy days and there's sad days. But, Father, we also want to maintain our hunger for you, for this kingdom, for the lordship of Christ. Even when, it's very, even when we're doing something we don't want to do. We want to do it out of our love, reverence, and desire for Christ in our life. Father, we ask to see people with the eyes of Jesus, to realize that it is Jesus and us sitting down to dine together as we're preparing for an eternal banquet. Father, I thank you for your kingdom here. I thank you for your kingdom now. And I thank you that you have given us a mission and a purpose. No matter what happened, no matter where we find ourselves in life or what anybody else is going to say, we have a mission and a purpose here in life to just sit down and dine with you. I thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand and sing.
all day, wasn't it? Or all morning. Hey, we had a good time last week, and I really appreciate everybody involved. I know there was a ton of people just doing all kinds of things. I can't go down every name. We'll, we'll be here forever. Uh, but I, I did notice last week, it was just it was just a neat thing. While we were all eating and enjoying ourselves and having fun, there were some deacons going around town, dropping food off to people, which I thought was really cool. And uh, I just wanted to share that with you. I thought a lot of people were helping, but that just, that was neat. Neat thing to see. I just like that. Let's, uh, let's thank God. Father, we thank you again. We ask that this week you help us. Help us to get our appetite going, our service going, our, our love going, our lo- the, the love that your son Brian just told us about, that, that to show people this, and that we would have a desire in the pit of our stomach, that we would have this spiritual fervor. Father, and, and, and no one may ever know about it, but we know you do. We know none of this is lost on you. So, Father, help us to serve our King, to serve Jesus with the zealousness that the Creator of the universe deserves and also our eternal state, our mission in this life. I thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Wasn't sure who...